If you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, we continue on our journey to Jerusalem. This morning we're looking at what we know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's what our section is entitled there, beginning in verse 25. I would just say that this is uh, one of the parables, or a parable that's one of the easiest, just to read it and turn it into a an Aesop's fable, uh, a little moral instruction, uh, thinking that Jesus' point to this lawyer who's come to him is just be a good, upright human being. If you want to love God, be merciful and generous to those who are in need. But as we look through the passage, I hope to show that the parable is simply an illustration that Jesus uses to help this particular lawyer to see that he's mistaken about God, about God's law, and about really who he is before God. Really doesn't begin at verse 30 where Jesus talks about the Good Samaritan. It begins in verse 25 when this lawyer approaches him with a question. And we find that the real issue is not... uh, Jesus is not trying to teach us how to identify our neighbor or how the lawyer is to identify his neighbor. Jesus is really teaching him about how to have eternal life and who has eternal life. It's really a kind of a thinly veiled, if you will, um, debate between the the one who is the expert in the law and the teacher. Uh, if we look in the larger context, we've noticed through, throughout the book of, throughout the Gospel of Luke, he's not necessarily put things in chronological order. In fact, it's hard to know chronologically where Luke is, but he places these episodes together uh, to bring his point of the Lord Jesus Christ being the Savior of all who will call upon his name. And so in the larger context, last week in verse 21, Luke records that in the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit, that's speaking of Jesus, and he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things, and these things would go back up where he Uh, 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 encouraged his disciples not to rejoice in the uh, abilities that the Holy Spirit gave them as they were sent out, but to rejoice that their names are written in heaven. And so there in 21, I thank you, Father Jesus, praying to the Father, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven, that you have hidden these things 
from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And these next two episodes to conclude chapter 10, the lawyer is an example of the things that are hidden from the wise and the understanding. He is the wise and the understanding one of his day, of the culture. And then in uh, 38 to 42, ending the chapter, Mary is probably representative of one of these little children who the truth of the word and the will of God has been revealed to her. So these two events that seemingly the Good Samaritan and Mary and Martha as Jesus visits their home don't really seem to be tied together, but it's very possible Jesus is giving an illustration of the wise and understanding who the truth is hidden from versus the little children who God reveals the deep things of God, of himself to them. So, this is really, the Good Samaritan, as we call it, is really bad news for some people. And Jesus is trying to show the lawyer his place where he is before God. Remember verse 25 as we read. Let's read through the verse 25 down to verse 37 and we'll pray and we'll walk through this. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is not the only person in the Gospels who comes to Jesus and asks this question. And he said to him, Jesus said to this lawyer, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. 
little indication of what he thought about the Samaritan there in that last verse. He wouldn't even say. He just said the man who had compassion or who had mercy. So let's pray as uh, ask the Lord to help us as we walk through this passage that we might gain an understanding of who he is, who God is. We'll also seek to know the purpose of the law, this lawyer who is the expert in the law. And then also see ourselves in need of a wonderful, merciful Savior. So let's pray. Our fathers, we come to you. We come to you empty-handed, open-handed, nothing to give, reaching out to receive from you. Lord, as those with uh, foolish hearts, we lack wisdom. We're not of the intellectual elite. And many of us come to you with grateful hearts that you have revealed to us as little children truths in your word and assurance from your spirit taking that word and convincing us or giving us assurance of our salvation that our names are written in heaven. Father, as we look at this lawyer, as we look at our Lord and Savior teaching him about himself, help us to examine ourselves. Help our confidence, our assurance, not to be in anything that we have done. Father, show us that there's nothing we can do to make ourselves right with you. Father, we need Christ. We need to be saved. We need to be sanctified. We need to be on our road to glorify as we see Christ face to face one day. Father, I pray that you would open blind eyes here this morning. I pray that you would reveal deceived hearts. I pray that you would encourage your children as they walk on the path of righteousness, seeking 
to be pleasing in your sight. Lord, I pray for churches around our city. I think about Taylor Worley in Galveston, at Galveston Church, Galveston County. Lord, would you use him as he shares the truth with his people today? Lord, we pray the same thing for churches throughout our country. For the churches in the Dominican Republic where Barry and Joe just taught your word. Lord, the churches in Ecuador where we know men laboring day by day in both church and seminaries. The people of Ecuador the Dominican Republic, the people of every nation need the Lord Jesus. Father, would you open eyes? Would you create new hearts? As we come back here, send a revival, Father. Revive your people. Save those who are not yet your people. Teach us through this conversation that Jesus has with this lawyer for your sake, for the sake of the kingdom of our Lord and Savior in whose name we pray. Amen. So as uh, we, he begins, behold, Luke says, behold, the sort of a statement. He uses it regular throughout his gospel. And it's just kind of a, okay, here we go. Here's this message, or here's this story. A lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Seems to be that's his concern. Uh, when you think about this lawyer, don't think about how you typically think of lawyers, how we typically think of lawyers who, who know the civil laws, the laws of the, uh, the land, the laws of the cities in which they practice, the states in which they practice, the, the country, the federal laws. Don't think about that kind of a lawyer uh, because they have, no, they have nothing to do with what goes on in our churches. This lawyer, though, is a lawyer in Israel. Israel is a theocracy. It's a, a nation in which the, God's word is their constitution. There's no separation of church and state in this situation. Uh, and so the civil laws that govern Israel are the very same laws that govern the religious life of the people of Israel, of the Jews. So the lawyers were experts in the law of God, in the Mosaic law, or considered the experts. So this law expert stands up and he tests Jesus, comes to him with a question about uh, a doctrine of the 
on the religious side of the law of God, and he's really challenging Jesus. Jesus was not educated by a rabbi of repute that gave him any credentials. This lawyer confidently is seeking to really show himself to be the professional and Jesus to be a, an uneducated, um, naive teacher who has no authority to teach the things that he's teaching. So he tests Jesus about this fundamental question uh, about how do, we, how do we prepare ourselves for the age to come? It seems to be his concern, but that is, as it plays itself out, it's not his concern. It's more about tripping Jesus up on the theology of eternal life. Uh, it's a spiritual question. The spiritual question of eternal life becomes a, a topic for theological debate rather than a search for understanding and a knowledge of the truth. Uh, remember, if you've read through Pilgrim's Progress, you remember Pilgrim in the early, at the beginning of the book, he's got this heavy backpack on, a dreadful weight upon him, and he has this terrible fear of judgment. So he meets evangelist, and evangelist points him commands him to run toward the light way over there that you can see in the distance. Run toward that light. His wife and kids are seen pleading with him to come back and come back, and he sticks his fingers in his ears, and he says, life, life, eternal life. That's not the lawyer's tone here. You know, not everyone is that passionate about finding out what happens when we die. Maybe a little more toward the end when they uh, are closer to dying. Now, this lawyer asks a good question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? But his motive is all wrong. His motive is impure. Even if he was somewhat sincere, He's not desperate like Christian to hear and find out the answer to life. In fact, he thinks he knows the answer to the question of eternal life. And so Jesus says to him, he said in verse 26, what's written in the law? How do you read it? You know the answer to this already. You're the law expert. And he answers, he quotes from the law, from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And all Jesus says, he doesn't, that's a good answer. Do this and live. And that's it. Doesn't tell him if it's possible. He doesn't uh, explain anything to him. He just says there, do this and live. You have answered correctly. Do this and live. 
And if we uh, were, again, it's keep on doing. If we were reading in the Greek, our, our Greek New Testaments together, it would be the idea, keep on doing this ongoingly, continuously, unshakably, obediently. And he leaves it there. That's the, no commentary. He simply assures the lawyer, this is necessary for eternal life. And verse 29, and, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Not really wanting to justify himself. He's not really wanting to know who his neighbor is. He's hoping that this will narrow the scope on who it is that he has to love. And so I'm, I, I don't know, am I, as we go, I'm asking the question now, am I reading too much in to notice a sense of doubt, a questioning of his self-confidence here, seeking to justify himself after hearing Jesus, yeah, do this and live. That's too simple. Got to be more to gaining eternal life than just do this and live. But as a matter of fact, answer, has it really got him to thinking? Is his self-confidence shaken in the least? Jesus, again, just seems to make it too simple. On the other hand, as if, if he thinks about his answer, he has to say, well, I haven't scored real well according to what I answered. And even... He doesn't seem to be particularly bothered about it. We don't really have a clear picture of his emotional state, of how it is, his inflections when he asks this question. But I guess really the question is not, is Jesus bothered? Are we bothered? that many people are not bothered by what the law says. The law demands to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Does that bother you? Uh, Jesus knew this man, this lawyer, had not kept the great commandment. This is the great commandment. Jesus knew he hadn't kept the commandment that day that he was asking the question, much less in his whole life. And in that regard, he's no different from any of us, right? Have you kept the how, how Have you... Do you love the God with all your heart? With all your soul, mind, strength? Uh, uh, 
And can you keep on doing it if you say yes forever? It's impossible to continually to fulfill what the law demands. It's your will always bent toward obedience. your mind always focused on praise to God and gratitude to Him? You love Him with all that you are? James says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point becomes accountable for all of it. If we look at verse 27... If anybody looks at verse 27 and comforts themselves with the record of their own lives and think they're good with God, sure, I love God. They're deceived. There's a deception there. Lawyer hadn't yet seen that the best he could do was not good enough. Uh, His doctrine, if you will, comforted him. He was comfortable where he was before God. In challenging, maybe he didn't know Jesus was the Son of God, but in challenging this man, this visiting rabbi, the Lord God, Jesus himself. And so Jesus compassionately and lovingly puts the law in front of his face. And it's one of the purposes. Calvin has three uses for the law. One of the law, one of the purposes for the law is it functions as a mirror so that we might see ourselves as the law is confronts us, and we might see ourselves in the face, in, 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 according to, in relation to God's standard. God's standard, love me with all your heart, soul, strength of mind. The law comes to us. Mm. Calvin says, I see my face is dirty. But the law gives me nothing to wash my face with. It just leaves me dirty. So we see ourselves against God's demands, against His law. And we tend not to use the law as our standard to measure our lives with. We tend to use other people as our standards and we'll never get to a right understanding uh, of ourselves before God by measuring ourselves with other people because because of the ones that we use to compare ourselves with. We tend to use those who we think maybe we're just a little bit above them morally or we're doing better in our obedience and so we feel like we're doing okay because we're comparing ourselves to those who are not quite as good as us, not quite as adept at Obeying God. We begin to think too highly of ourselves. Now there are others who can think too lowly of themselves because there's always somebody better than you and can make you feel like you're in deep trouble. 
That's not the lawyer's problem here. The lawyer's problem is the other side. He thinks he's one of the elite and everybody else, you know, he, he thinks too highly of himself. Once you look into the mirror of the law that reflects God's nature, not only will you discover, not only do we discover who God is, but we also see who we are. And that's why, as Corey read in Galatians, the law is our guardian, the law is our tutor. King James says the law is our schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. There's the law's purpose. The law's purpose is not to tell us how to live so we might be good with God. We might be okay before him. It tells us that we're not. And that we need the Lord Jesus, our Savior, because the law reveals our sin. We'll never understand the mercy of God till we understand the law of God. The law of God will reveal to us our sin and our inability to justify ourselves as this lawyer is trying to do to justify himself. But the law drives us to Christ who alone can justify Unjust sinners. Christ alone. The lawyer thought he could justify himself. So many, you know, the, 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 so many who just, I've lived a good life. Uh, um, the question to them, compared to what? Have you lived a good life? You've lived a good life compared to what's a bad life. When you compare your life to the law, you're not so much. Are you, have you lived a good life? And so Corey read, if the law had been given that could give life, remember, what do I do to get eternal life? Well, if the law could be given that could give life, then righteousness would be by the law. But the Scripture imprisons, the the Scripture binds everyone up under sin so that the promise, and that promise is eternal life, by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So it's faith in Christ that brings the righteousness of Christ into our account that makes us right with God. Galatians, later on in chapter 5, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. He's seeking to justify himself. All right, tell me who's my neighbor, and I will, be, I will love my neighbor. Seeking to be justified by the law severs him from Christ, and Christ is the only one who can save him. This lawyer is in a very, very dangerous position, along with many people also in our day. Romans chapter 3 says, Through the law comes the knowledge of sin, 
But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all who believe. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. If you're seeking to justify yourself by the law or anything you do, you're severed from Christ, who is the one who has provided redemption. You know, on the final day, I don't know what it's going to be like. God doesn't tell us a whole lot what it's going to be like. But it's not, as you stand before him, he's not going to have to read through the Ten Commandments to find one you've broken. Right? He's just going to say, did you love me with all your heart? That's good. Uh, that stops our mouths. Our mouth is shut. We've got nothing to boast about. In fact, we have now to plead for mercy. You can't justify yourself. But he wanted to justify himself there in verse 29. And wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The lawyer is the first one who should have known better. Even only having the Old Testament, he would have been taught clearly. He would know clearly if he read the law rightly. He couldn't justify himself. He just kind of, he, he seeks to test Jesus and he's tripping over his own sandal straps. He's, he's, he's put himself, he's hanging himself on his own gallows. So he says, who is my neighbor? How wide is this neighborhood that you're calling me to uh, love the people in? How many people do I have to love as myself? And Jesus could have said, well, the neighborhood's the whole world, and uh, that would have ended the discussion. But no, Jesus doesn't do that. He said, let me tell you a story. A revealing parable. Let me explain to you as you're looking into this law, this mirror that is showing you who God is by His nature and yourself as you uh, are compared to God and His nature. Let me show you a little bit about yourself. This, and he tells this story. He went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. In the first century, that would be a very dangerous trip as Jerusalem's up on a hill, Jericho's down in the Jordan Valley. A hilly road, an isolated road, winding through the hills down the side of the mountain into the valley. Perfect place for ambush. And as Pilgrim could see the light, as you get down... Towards the valley, you could see the oasis of Jericho. Palm trees or vegetation, streams running there. And on the way down, the robbers come out and they strip him, beat him, rob him, 
leave him for dead. And Jesus speaks about the priest and the Levite, both professionals, uh, professional ministers. If they're leaving Jerusalem, they probably finished some temple duties that they had. The priest, all Levites, all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. The priests would be the ones who would offer sacrifices. The Levites would be more the ones who take care of the accoutrements of worship, the things of worship, and take care of the temple itself. Um, Both professional ministers, they've probably, leaving Jerusalem, probably just finished their uh, temple duties. They see this battered fellow on the road, and they both cross over to the other side of the street and leave him half dead dying by the side of the road. And we could give all kinds of reasons why they may have done that, you know, if they te- touch, a bo- touch a dead body, they may have thought he was dead, they touch him, he's go- they're going to be unclean. But they've got plenty of time, they're not going to be back having to uh, uh, do temple duties unclean. They would have time to be cleansed through the rituals. Or they could have been thinking that the robbers are still around and we better get out of here. Yeah, we can make excuses for them. The Lord doesn't give us any excuses. They just pass by on these these ministers, if you will, pass by on the other side. And then a Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion, and he went on. The priests and the Levite, they went by, went across the road and went by this Samaritan. We call it the Good Samaritan. We call him the Good Samaritan. For the Jew, there's no such thing as a Good Samaritan. All Samaritans are unclean. Uh, Jews had no dealing with Samaritans. But he was the one who had compassion. The world tends to Cheapen this idea of passion. Uh, Trite saying, you know, I feel your pain. Or uh, I know what you're going through. No, you don't. But we say that to help people think or feel that we feel with them. But that's not what compassion is. True compassion goes beyond feelings. True compassion is displayed in our actions, in our life. Psalm 103 says, 13 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. As a father shows compassion to his children, no caring father would leave his son half dead on the road. God shows his compassion to his children. He doesn't just feel bad for us. He doesn't just pity us. We are pitiful people sometimes. But he took his his compassion, took his son all the way to the cross on our behalf. He demonstrated his compassion 
by redeeming us. The priests and the Levite, they go, uh, they went by on the other side. They went one way. The Samaritan went a different way. He had compassion. He went to him. He cared for him, put him on his animal and walked him to the end. And then he paid, foot the bill, said, if that's not enough, I'll come back and pay the rest. Martin Luther says that to love our neighbor, we have to be Christ to our neighbor. Do what Jesus would do in his compassion so that the neighbor sees the Lord Jesus at work in you. So I chased some of the episodes in the ministry of Jesus. He went ashore, he saw a great crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed them. Jesus called to his disciples, I have compassion on these people. They've been with us three days and they don't have anything to eat. So he fed 5,000 people because of his compassion upon them. When the Lord saw the funeral procession and the widow whose son had died, that was the son's funeral, Jesus had compassion on her and raised her son from the dead. And he had compassion on his people. If you belong to Christ, he had compassion on you. And then he went to the cross. Gave himself up. Jesus paid it all. And all to him do we as his people owe. So the priest and the Levite and this lawyer really represent uh, the Jewish uh, religion, the Jewish faith as a whole. Not every Jew, but as a whole, they reveal the deficiencies in Judaism when the law is misinterpreted. For all the sacrifices, for all the prayers, for all the devotions, for all the study of the Word of God, for all the ceremonies, there can still be a cold, formal, lifeless, dead religion. Jesus is essentially saying, If loving your neighbor as yourself has anything to do with eternal life, it is clear, Mr. Lawyer, you do not have eternal life because you do not love. And the flip side is the Samaritan, who you regard as the bottom of the barrel in the society. He'll go into heaven, into the kingdom before you. And so that's sort of the sting in the tail of Jesus' story is the no good Samaritan is not standing, Jesus is not presenting him as an example for the law expert to uh, follow. Jesus is presenting him as a critic of the law expert's life an attitude toward God and his law. 
the lawyer pressed Jesus with this question. You should have seen that in the, in the end, the Jesus story of a priest and the Levite was actually a story about himself. Jesus never tells the lawyer who to help. But he does show his failure to keep the commandment. It's not from a lack of information. He doesn't need the uh, information that answers his question, what do I do, uh, what do I have to do to internal, uh, inherit eternal life? Jesus shows him his lack of love, his lack of concern, his desire to narrow down a manageable portion of people. Didn't need new information. He needed a new heart. He needed to be converted. He needed to be saved. A a nice story about a generous and a brave Samaritan loving his neighbor. And we ought to love our neighbors. Especially as God's people because we're freed by from the law. We're freed from our sin to obey the law. We're no longer under the curse of the law. And we are enabled by the Spirit of God to love the Lord with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And our neighbor is ourself. Jesus tells this story to show the lawyer he doesn't have eternal life. He's not telling him to follow the example. He meant to expose his lack of love and lead him to repentance. Not saying here's what you should do. What Jesus is saying is here's what you're not doing. Uh, The lawyer says, who's my neighbor? Jesus says, let me tell you a story. Here it is. Do you get it? It exposes you. Jesus shows him that judging by his own standard, he does not have life. He's lost. If he had life, he would love. If he's like the priest and the Levite, he doesn't love and he must not have eternal life. I mean, you may say, Well, Jesus is not very kind to this lawyer, not very gracious to this lawyer. Uh, It's more a situation, what's the use in urging someone to seek God's grace when he doesn't think he needs it? I mean, that's the beginning of the gospel, isn't it? This man needs to first come to grips with his sinful condition. And so Jesus puts the law in front of his face. Doesn't begin, the gospel doesn't begin with good news. The good news follows the bad news. And this is the story of a good Samaritan that is bad news for this lawyer. When we see God in all of his glory, it's revealed in his law, it's revealed in creation. And we realize we fall short of it. 
we're in trouble. And we realize that. And then we are driven by the law to Christ because there's no other hope than in Him. So the law says, do this and live. Jesus says it to him there back in uh, verse 26. Or, I'm sorry, 27, do this and live. 28, do this and live. Keep on doing this. This is a lifestyle that is required. He says there's life in keeping the law. Do this and live. If anyone could, but the scriptures tell us no one has ever been able to keep on doing it. No one has been able to keep the law. Live and do this is what the law says. The gospel says, I must do this and live. The gospel says, live and do this. The Lord Jesus comes, he gives us eternal life. We're born again. We're made alive, and then we can begin to do what he commanded. We don't do this and gain eternal life. We receive eternal life, and then we follow the commands to do these things. The new life in Christ enables us to obey his word. And before he's done with us, we will perfectly do all that the law demands when we see Jesus face to face. As Paul says to the Philippians, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. The turn of the 19th century into the 20th century, uh, liberal Christianity had invaded much of American Christianity, especially in the uh, uh, universities and seminaries. There was an attempt to reduce Christianity. What is Christianity? And you've probably heard just the general phrasing of the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. Uh, God is the father of all, and we're all brothers and sisters through God, who is our father. Well, we just, we know that the truth of that, of that is God is the creator of all, but not the father of all. Ultimately, he's only the father of one, his only begotten son. And then everyone who is united to his son through faith in Jesus Christ are adopted into the family of God. We're no longer children of the devil who we belong to from birth. The only way to become a child of God is to be adopted. The only way to be adopted is through Jesus Christ, his son. So according to Scripture... It's only those in Christ who are part of the brotherhood and sisterhood, if I can 
say that. We're brothers and sisters because we have the same father. The Bible doesn't teach the universal brotherhood of man. That would be a secular viewpoint, of course. But it does teach the universal neighborhood of man. So, without totally dismissing the Good Samaritan parable, all men aren't our brothers and sisters. All men and women are not our brothers and sisters, but all are our neighbors. In the end, the parable tells us we're to be loving toward everyone. You know, we don't have to like everybody, but we must love them, to be loving toward them, to do what love demands for everyone that God puts in our path. That's how Jesus taught the lawyer the truth about the law. How he taught Jesus and showed him God through his law that then revealed the lawyer to himself or himself to himself. He sees God. He sees himself. And then he'll find his only hope. Then he'll realize he is lost. And that there is a Savior, Jesus Christ. That's how Jesus taught the lawyer the truth about the law. The law that he was supposed to be an expert. Jesus showed him and taught him that day. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that you would help us get in our minds the clear truth of the gospel. The purpose of the law. And how it is that those two are so very important to us today. It's easy to get the gospel and the law uh, intertwined. And we think somehow the Christian life Entrance and continuation is based upon what we do. Father, remind us, show us, help us to know that it's based upon what Christ has done. That we might live and then love, and then be compassionate, and then be kind and sympathetic. Thank you that you've poured out your grace 
that you have revealed and demonstrated your love by putting your son on the cross. Father, we ask that that would always be in the forefront of our thinking. And that question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Lord, help that question to rattle us until we yield totally to Christ. And depend on Him alone. We come with nothing to bring. We have nothing. And we cling to Christ in His cross. Thank you for grace. It's in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.